This audio session is taken from the Shofar Bible School first year course. You can register for the full Bible School course by visiting our Shofar online store at www.shofaronlinestore.org. The topic for this session is, We have a new family. It is part of Module 9, Adoption by God. Welcome. We are speaking about this concept of being adopted into the family of God. In the previous session, we spoke about sin, our need for salvation, and how God established our redemption through Jesus. But salvation is far more than just being forgiven of sin and guilt. It is being adopted into the family of God, becoming a new creation in Christ, which is a very powerful concept, being adopted into the family of God. And so when we look at the Bible, the Bible addresses this adoption both theologically and deeply personal. Theological in the sense that it reveals one of the core characteristics of who God is. God is a father. A father has children and a father has a family. It's so powerful that God would choose that we must address Him as Father. Amongst all the covenant names that God could have chosen, He is almighty, all-powerful, the commander of the heavenly hosts. He is our provider. There's so many names through which God could choose to reveal Himself to us and desire us to call Him. It's so powerful to see that God desires us to call Him Father. It's deeply personal. God wants us to approach Him as a father. He calls us His children and we call each other's brothers and sisters. It is very personal. But sin destroys relationship. We see that sin has the power to actually destroy and fracture relationships in family, in communities, with man and even with ourselves. A sin leads to a refraction in relationship, not just with others, but, but also with God. You see, sin is a deeply personal matter to God. Sin is rejecting who God is. Even the law is an expression of who God is. It's not just a set of rules that we have to obey. It is an expression of the character and nature of God. And when we lie, when we steal, we are not just breaking a rule. We are rejecting who God is. It is a deeply personal matter to God. And the consequence of sin, we know very well. It, it, it fractures our relationship with God. And, and so we see right in the beginning when man sins, in rejecting who God is, we were cast out of the garden. We drift away from God. We are separated and removed from God to the point where we no longer know who He is. God is holy and we are sinners. And immediately we see the two opposites. We are no longer family. And we're not only cut off from God and our relationship with God, we are cut off from the source of life. The relationship that we had was not just a relationship with God, it was a relationship with the source of life. And so through sin, we are cut off not just from the relationship, but the source of life. And then we, we come because of this rejection of who God is, this rebellion of who God is, we come under condemnation. We fall under the wrath of God. And therefore we see that the consequence of sin is death. Sin is a personal matter to God, but what is so amazing is God dealt with sin in a very personal way. He sent His Son. He sent His Son to deal with the consequence of our sin. 
Jesus became man and he lived amongst us in a very personal way. And then he took upon himself all our sin. Everything that offended God, he took upon himself and he faced the consequence of our sin. He faced the wrath of God. And so we see that he became the punishment for sin. The wrath of God that we deserved, the separation from God and the death that was meant for eternity, God took upon himself. And if we think about it, that would have been enough. That would have been amazing grace. The fact that God, even though we rebelled against Him, even though we rejected who He was, and we deserved the wrath and the punishment for sin, which is death, the fact that God sent His Son to save us and to redeem us from that would have been amazing grace. It is amazing grace. But the thing is, salvation doesn't stop there. It's not just about forgiveness. It's about restoration. It is about becoming a new creation and being adopted into the family of God. The Word of God declares that we have not just been forgiven, but that we became a new creation and that we have been adopted into the family of God as children of God. It means we have a restored relationship. We are included in the family of God. We have a new status. We have a new identity as sons and daughters of God, and we can call God our Father. It's quite amazing. We are loved, we are wanted, and we belong. These three are deeply important to human well-being. This concept of being loved, being wanted, and belong. But this biblical concept of adoption goes even further. It's amazing when we read the word, that we have not just been adopted into the family of God. We have received the Holy Spirit. This in itself is profound. And I want us just to read in Galatians 4 from verse 6. It says the following. Because you are sons, God has sent forth His Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. This is profound. God does not just call us children. He poured out the Spirit of His Son into our hearts through which we call out Abba Father. It is a, not just a restoration of relationship, it is an intimacy with God that is restored. If we think back to the life and purpose of John the Baptist, if I were to ask anyone who was John the Baptist, what made him so significant, most would answer that he was the great and, and long-awaited prophet that would prepare the way for the Messiah. And we can ask ourselves, how did he do this? How did he prepare the way for the Messiah? He came with a simple message, the message of repentance and baptism, that you must repent and be baptized to enter into the kingdom. But for me, what made John the Baptist so significant was not just the fact that he came to prepare the way for the Messiah. He was the prophet that came to identify the Messiah. That made him even more significant. One day, John the Baptist stood up and, and he said one of the most powerful sentences of any Old Testament prophet. He stood up, seeing Jesus walking towards him, and he said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Profound statement of identifying the Messiah. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. How did John know that Jesus was the Messiah? And this is what I want us to look at. John testified very powerfully in 1 John, the following, if we read in 1 John, 
from verse 33, he says the following, I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, Upon whom you see the Spirit descend and remaining on him, this is he who baptized with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. So for John, the sign who is the Son of God is the one whom the Spirit descend and remain upon. And so John saw as he baptized Jesus, as heavens opened, that the Spirit came like a dove and remained on Jesus. And therefore he was bold in declaring that this is indeed the Son of God. Now can I ask you a question? Where does the Spirit of God live today? The Spirit of God lives in you. Can you see the significance of this? You were not just adopted into the family of God. You were given the Spirit of God. The same Spirit that identified the Son of God now lives in you and me. The same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead now lives in you and me. And the Word of God says that this is our guarantee, the seal that we belong to God. From heaven's perspective, this is equally profound. You must imagine yourself when heaven looks down upon the earth, on the Son of Man. There are some of those men and women that are completely different to the rest of humanity. There's something that makes them significant, something that makes them stand out from heaven's perspective. It's not just that they've been forgiven, which is amazing. It's the fact that the Spirit of God, the same Spirit that identified the Son of God, the same Spirit of God lives in you and me. And so when you wake up in the morning, I can imagine how heaven responds to when the children of God is awake. When they look upon you and they see you go to the kitchen, they probably are all attentive to what are you going to do. And most importantly, what are you going to say? What are you going to pray? What are you going to do in the name of God? Because His Spirit is within you. You see, the salvation is far more than just forgiveness. It's been adopted into the family. It's being sealed with His Spirit. Take 10 minutes to reflect on and discuss this session's key Bible passage together with others in your class. If you are watching on your own, take a few minutes to reflect on the key Bible passage by yourself. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of adoption again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children is heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him, that we may also be glorified together. It says we've not only received the Spirit of God by which we cry out, Abba, Father, that establishes our identity and our purpose and our belonging in the family of God. It says you're not just any child. You've not just been adopted. You've been made a co-heir with Christ. And what does Christ inherit? Christ inherits everything. When God adopts us into His family, it's not just any child. It's a co-heir with Christ. I, I remember when I was in Ukraine a number of years ago, it, it dawned upon me as, as we were visiting some of the pastors. Um, they have this beautiful culture in Ukraine that the Christians adopt children. And so many pastors have, have 
have their own biological children and then they have adopted children. And, and we visited this one family and, and they're very hospitable. And, and we sat in their, in their living room and it was the, the father and the mother and the two biological children. This family also adopted two, two, two daughters the same age as their biological children. And so when we visited them, they put before us a great feast in the living room. And there was the father, the mother and the two biological children sharing a meal with us while the adopted children sat in the kitchen. You know what God is saying? When, when, when He says, I want you to call me Father. I, I want you to be my children. But I don't want you just to be any child. I want you to become a co-heir with my son. And so when God adopts us, we're not sitting in the kitchen. We're sitting with His Son as co-heirs around the same table. That's God's love towards us. It's not just to forgive us, to redeem us, but to call us His own. This not only speaks about our identity in heaven, it also speaks about our identity on earth. This has great implications on how we see ourselves and how we live our lives. You see, many Christians struggle to, to, to grasp this concept of being adopted, being children of God. We, we, we struggle with this concept whether we are still a slave or whether we are a son. Galatians 4, from verse 1 to 7, says the following. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all, but under guardians and the stewardship until the appointed time by the father. Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, that we may receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth His Spirit into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ Jesus. How powerful is that? Now, many struggle with this concept. And I, and I want us to look at, at the implication of the scripture. Firstly, adoption refers to freedom that we have in Christ. But Galatians actually contrasts this freedom with two concepts. First, that of a slave. And second, that of a son. You see, in, in the culture, outsiders could become part of a household through two ways. You could either be the slave of that family... Become part of the household, but your value and your purpose was very limited. The other way you could be part of the family as an outsider is being adopted into the family. And here we see the contrast between the two. A slave doesn't have a lot of right. It doesn't have a lot of authority. And it doesn't really have a lot of hope. But a son has a place, it has authority, and it has inheritance. And so God contrasts our coming into his family with these two powerful concepts. Many Christians, however, even though they're part of the household of God, still live as if they are slaves. They struggle to embrace this place, this authority, and this inheritance. And the Word of God is powerful in just trying to explain to us, but you're no longer a slave. You're not part of my house, and you have a place. And that's very important. How do you think does the slave mentality 
manifest itself in Christians' lives. Can you think of ways, have you seen people that even though they're part of the household of God, still struggle with their identity as a child of God? Why do you think people adopt this position of being a slave in God's house instead of being a son? Think about that for a moment. Let's discuss that with one another. Why do you think do people adopt a slave mentality and not a child mentality in God's house? You know, through salvation, we have been adopted as children into the family of God. And with that comes rights and privileges. And God says, it's the same as my son. It's profound. God says, you become a co-heir with him. And this, um, this is an amazing revelation that gives us great confidence, but also intimacy with the Father. That we understand that we are not a second grade slave, but God loves us. And we have privileges and rights that leads us to intimacy with God. There's no fear in this love because we understand how much God loves us. Secondly, adoption refers to our righteousness that we have in Christ. You see, being adopted as a child is contrasted with being a child of the flesh versus a child of the spirit. Flesh does not refer to the material, but to the corruption that all flesh is exposed to through sin. Flesh rots and dies, but the spirit lives for eternity. You see, what is so powerful about this concept that we are contrasted between children of flesh and children of the Spirit is that we have life beyond this world, but also it relates to the fact that we have, through Christ, overcame sin and its power to corrupt, to decay, and ultimately death. As children of God, we are not doomed to sin, the corruption and death, but we have the righteousness of Christ, which is another powerful concept. We have now become the righteousness of God through Christ Jesus. And that righteousness is lasting. Now righteousness has two basic meanings in the word. First, it refers to having a right or a proper relationship with God. It speaks that the righteous are those who have a right relationship with God. But it also refers to the way of life. You live righteously. So righteousness has these two powerful concepts. It, it, it refers to our relationship but also our act in doing what is right, the way we live. These two meanings of righteousness are linked. Because of the righteousness of Christ in us, we have a right relationship with God. But that leads to a right way of living. You cannot have a proper relationship with God and live in an improper way. The two are incompatible. It's because we know God, because we love Him. He has poured His Spirit within us. We've become a new creation and we are no longer controlled by the flesh but by the Spirit. And if we are controlled by the Spirit, we live like the Spirit. That's why the Word says, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. So these two concepts powerfully manifest itself through salvation. We once were controlled by the flesh and the sinful nature but God did something amazing when He forgave us. He didn't leave us in our sinful way. He took out the heart of stone. He put in the heart of flesh. He poured His Spirit within us and we became a new creation. And now we are no longer controlled by the flesh. We are controlled by the Spirit. And so we live by the Spirit. 
and we live in a righteous way. That is the fruit, but also the evidence of who is the children of God. So because the Spirit of God is within us, we are no longer doomed to live in an improper way, to live in sin, and to be controlled by sin. And therefore, we are free from the power of sin and the consequence of sin. Not just because God forgave us, but because God empowers us through His Spirit to live a holy life. This means we are free. We are free from sin. We are free from the power of sin. And we are free to live for God. This is what salvation is about. It's not just forgiveness of sin. It's freedom from sin. It's being empowered by God to live a holy life so that God may receive all the glory. This is amazing grace. And I want to end off with this scripture in 1 John 3 that, that puts it so powerfully. What this salvation is. It says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. I pray that God will open your eyes of your understanding that you might realize who you are in Christ Jesus. What great this love is that God has lavished upon us, that we should be called children of God, sealed with His Spirit, made a co-heir with Christ to live a life that gives Him glory. May God bless you as you contemplate, discuss, and live this truth in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we want to thank you for your love. We want to thank you, God, for saving us. Not just redeeming us from our guilt and our shame, but calling us back to yourself. That you call us your children. That we may belong to you. That you've poured out your Spirit as a seal, a guarantee that we belong to you. And that you empower us to live like you. To live like your sons and daughters. So that you may receive all the glory. God, I pray that you may fill us more with understanding and revelation. Empower us by your Spirit. That we may live this life that you've given us. That we may give you all the glory through it. We ask you this in Jesus' name. Amen. Take 15 minutes to reflect on and discuss the following points together with others in the class. If you are watching on your own, Take a few minutes to reflect on the points by yourself. You can find the discussion points in your Bible School Handbook. Look out for the Living the Word sections in each session.